In recent years, extensive debate has centered around the possibility of further extending the scope of hepatic resections. With research now demonstrating the potential value of extended resection, will more patients be offered this as a treatment option for their condition? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest today is Dr. Alan Hemming, Professor of Surgery and Chief of Transplantation and Hepatobiliary Surgery at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Hemming. Thanks for having me on, Mark. We are discussing new techniques for extended hepatic resection. Dr. Hemming, what do we know now that we didn't know about 10, 15 years ago? I think in terms of liver resection, there's two major things that have changed that have made dramatic differences in the last, oh, 10, 15 years. And one of them is we now have available active chemotherapy for some of the diseases that we resect for, and that's made a big difference. The other thing is the ability to control blood flow to the liver and understanding how much liver function you need to get by. Overall, how do these patients do with these extended aggressive resections? If you look at the series that we published just recently of the 116 patients that underwent what we would call aggressive liver surgery for what would otherwise be considered unresectable and incurable disease, the five-year survival for these patients who would otherwise expect not to live more than about a year, about 32% of them lived out to five years. So about a third of patients that otherwise would have no chance for cure were cured. That's incredible. How do you account for that dramatic improvement in prognosis? Is it the surgical therapy in of itself? It isn't ever isolated to just the surgery itself. The ability to do the surgery gives them the chance for cure, but there are also additional factors, like I said, the chemotherapy. With truly active chemotherapy, I think patients that would have recurred even with the surgery, their disease is controlled with the chemotherapy and improvements in perioperative care and anesthesia that lets us get patients through operations that we might not have been able to do before. In these patients who undergo extended hepatic resection, are there limitations in terms of their own comorbidities that allows you or doesn't allow you to do this type of operation? Certainly, and it really depends on the extent of the operation that we're planning on doing as to what comorbidities and what physical shape the patient needs to be in to tolerate the operation. If we're doing something that leaves a fairly large amount of liver but maybe just needs vascular reconstruction, we may allow more comorbidities, a little bit more heart disease, for example, you know, pulmonary disease, whereas if we're doing something like an ex vivo resection where we're going to take their liver completely out, cold perfuse it, and cut it down and then replace it, they have to be in very, very good shape, similar to patients that we might want to transplant. How long do one of these surgeries usually take? It really depends on the type of operation we're doing. What we call aggressive techniques vary from operations that take as short as three hours to operations that take as long as eight or nine hours. And generally, how long are these people in the hospital? If you look at the combined series of 116 patients, the median hospital stay was 11 days, but that ranged anywhere from seven days out to 51 days. And obviously, the patient that was there 51 days had some complications. Now, do you normally just go through the abdomen, or do you do a thoracoabdominal approach? 
in all of the 116 patients, none of them had a thoracoabdominal approach. We pretty much don't use thoracoabdominal approaches anymore for the liver. I will rarely use a combination of what I'd call a hockey stick incision, being a Canadian, that extends up into a median sternotomy if I have to have control of one of the blood vessels that leads into the heart. Now, years ago, and in my training, we were always trained that the safest approach would be going into the chest and approaching it from above and below. Why has that changed? A large part has been the influence of liver transplantation. We do liver transplants where we take the liver out and put a new one in all through the abdomen, and we have control over all of the blood flow in and out of a liver through the abdomen. So for most resections, there's no need to go into the chest. I think a lot of that has literally been the improvement in retraction systems, and some of it, again, has been just getting comfortable with doing it through this approach with transplantation. There are times, however, where getting into the chest and doing a median sternotomy will help the situation and uh, let us get control of the suprahepatic uh, inferior vena cava and control the flow when they're for very large tumors. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Alan Hemming, Professor of Surgery and Chief of Transplantation and Hepatobiliary Surgery at the University of Florida College of Medicine. We are discussing new techniques for extended hepatic resection. Dr. Hemming, what are the most frequent complications related to this aggressive resection? If you look at the most common complication for both the big liver surgeries and for standard liver surgeries, probably something called a bile leak. Bile is something that drains from the liver through a ductal system, and when we come through the liver, we'll come through about 100 tiny little bile ducts. And if we miss any one of them or if the ties and or clips that we put on come off, then they can leak bile from the surface of their liver. That's relatively non-life-threatening and may add hospital stay to the whole thing, but it isn't particularly lethal. In this very large surgery where we're extending things to include 85 to 90% of the liver, we can run into trouble with liver failure. Not necessarily just liver failure, but when you have liver dysfunction, your risk of having infection goes way up. What do you do if you see a patient going into liver failure post-op? It depends on why we've done the initial resection. There are a few isolated instances where the patient would actually subsequently become a candidate for liver transplantation. Those would only be patients who had primary liver malignancy that we knew was restricted to the liver, and those are really few and far between. In other cases, we do supportive management, which would include these days both kidney dialysis as well as plasma exchange or occasionally the availability of what we would term liver dialysis these days, which are a variety of different machines that we can use to at least take over some of the functions of the liver. I would suspect that transfusion is a common part of this procedure? For standard liver resections, these days, transfusion would actually be relatively unusual. For the extended operations that we're talking about, the number of patients that are transfused, about two-thirds of the patients had transfusion, but a third of them had no transfusion at all. The median operative transfusion requirement was around two units, but there were a few patients. It ranged from zero all the way up to 21 units. Do you have these patients preoperatively donate their own blood and give it back to them interoperatively? It depends on the sort of case we're doing. For these very large cases, we usually don't have them do preoperative donation. In general, we either use no blood or quite a bit of blood. Most of the time, patients can bank two to four units of blood. 
if they're on chemotherapy, we sometimes have a hard time having them regenerate their own blood. What we tend to do more often is something called isovolemic hemodilution, which just means that at the beginning of the case, while they're under anesthesia, we'll withdraw a unit or two of the patient's blood and then dilute the patient with saline so that their hemoglobin while we're operating is actually quite low, and then at the end of the case, give them back their own blood. Now, yourself as a hepatic surgeon, how do you approach these very long procedures? You said as many as seven or eight hours. How do you handle that mentally and physically? To be honest, we don't really think about it that much. It's just something that while you're actually operating and focusing on the problem at hand, time sort of disappears. There is a lot of planning that goes into some of these cases in terms of vascular reconstruction and segments of the operation that are going to have particular steps to it. But in terms of the length of it, you know, seven-hour operation is just sort of a standard thing that we do. Now, do you work specifically with several attending surgeons who routinely do these procedures with you? We have a group of five liver surgeons and liver transplant surgeons who all work together. You know, all of us are capable of doing the liver transplants. Some, but not all of us do the liver resection work, but we all tend to work together. We also have a fellowship training program with fellows who are here to learn both liver transplantation and hepatobiliary surgery, so they're also in the mix. Are there other centers in the United States in addition to yours that are doing this type of surgery? There certainly are. The combination of transplantation and hepatic resection is something that is a little bit unusual in this country because the training tends to be either resection or transplantation, but not both. But I think over the last, oh, I'd say five years, I think people have begun to see the value of training in both to give you the ability to both do the vascular reconstruction work that comes with transplantation, uh, as well as the principles of surgical oncology go, that go with the surgical oncology training. Well, let's talk about you. You clearly are trained in both transplantation and extended resection of the liver. Which do you do more? In terms of straight numbers, I probably do more liver resections. I probably do about 100 liver resections a year or slightly more, and I do about 50 liver transplants a year. In terms of time spent on it, I probably spend as much time on the liver transplant aspect as I do on the resections, however. And do you have uh, personal perspectives on yourself doing either resections or transplantation? In terms of... Which you like better? I don't look at either of them better or worse. I think, you know, the way I was trained was to deal with liver disease in general. So, you know, the surgical aspects of liver disease. So that includes liver resection, liver transplantation, used to be portal hypertension surgery, bile duct surgery. And it's all, I think, part of the whole, almost call it a service line approach these days. During your research for the extended hepatic resections, were there ever times when you thought you would not be successful and this is not a good approach to do? When we started off, we didn't exactly start off to just say, let's do huge big things and see if it works. It's been a bit of an incremental step. This was a 10-year time period that we looked at. And I think at the beginning, we were doing Still, although there was a very big surgery, we didn't do some of the things that we would do in the last few years. So we sort of hopefully took this as a step-by-step thing and didn't just go for broke right from the beginning. So I think each step we thought we had a very realistic chance of being successful with. With each success, we moved on to something a little bit bigger. And if you look into your crystal ball in the next five or ten years, where do you think that extended hepatic resection will be? I think a lot of the techniques we talk about now that are 
not in standard use across the country, but only in a few unusual centers. I think that the techniques will spread across the country with more and more surgeons using them. And I think there will be, hopefully, be uh, newer techniques in terms of preserving or maximizing liver function, in terms of protecting the liver from the insult it takes while we operate on it, and in terms of supporting the liver if we remove a little too much and need a little help. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Alan Hemming. We've been discussing newer techniques for extended hepatic resection. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please... Call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.